Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon, and uh, a very good afternoon. I think we're still in the afternoon. A good afternoon or good morning, Solange. Afternoon. It's the afternoon. Okay, so that voice you heard there is Solange Gouchardelar, who is uh, a, a, one of our becoming a more regular guests on the show, and we're so lucky to have her back. Uh, Solange, if you're not familiar with her, is is really to me one of the most exciting kind of voices in the China Africa scholarship. She is uh, a research associate at the Max Planck Institute for Social Anthropology in Halle, Germany, as well as a PhD candidate at Sciences Po in Paris, and really. What I, I know, I'll talk about you in front of you like this. Um, but really, to me, the the foremost kind of thought leader on China Zambia relations, and really one of the most experienced uh, scholars in in, in Sino Zambian relations. So we are thrilled to have you back on the show again today. Welcome. Thank you very much, and thank you for that introduction, which I don't feel really. She's <laughs> modest as well. What I what I really do. Um, very embarrassed. <laughs> you can't see me. That, uh, right one now. one of the funny things about Solange is that you you know just getting her to do this this the, the show today is always a challenge because she is bouncing around all over the world, back and forth between Europe and Africa and China and all points in between. So getting you to sit still is is actually a pretty big challenge, and we're thrilled to have you today with us. Uh, today, one one of the things we're going to do with Solange is step back. Normally what we do on the show is we kind of get into the weeds of, you know, that week's news issue on what's going on in China from, you know, we've we got to talk about trade and ivory and and policy whatnot. And I want to kind of step back because Solange has such a, a unique perspective and we're really going to focus on one area in particular, which is demography. And this is one of the most sensitive and poorly understood aspects of the Sino-African relationship. And one of the reasons I want to go down this path is because Solange has spent a lot of time in Zambia, where that has been long been one of the, the flashpoints of China-Africa relations. But it's also one of the places where we're starting to see um, some, some interesting patterns as it relates to intermarriage, as it relates to assimilation, immigration, and integration. So, Solange, when people ask you, you know, who are the Chinese in Zambia, what is your answer to that kind of what seems to be a very simple question, but I suspect is a very complex answer? Both complicated and simple. I, I don't think people expect me to answer their ordinary men and women, uh, adults, uh, but children and elderly people as well. Um, I think what surprises most people is is, 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 is moving away from a, a fixed idea of the migrant being a, a male who's interested in working um, of a certain demographic age group between, let's say, you know, uh, late teens to his uh, mid-40s, for instance. But actually, it's a whole, um, it's a mixed bag of very different actors who have very contrasting socioeconomic backgrounds and largely... Uh, diverging ambitions, very contrasting ambitions, um, and it's, it's almost like you have a slice of, of Chinese society really in Zambia. Nowadays, people come from all over the main, all over China. They speak the different dialects um, that are represented in China, um, and you have uh, a very, very strong uh, percentage of, of women, a growing percentage of women who are out there, but also the, the lone explorer, the, the lone explorer who's not necessarily attached to anyone or anybody without, necess- you know, uh, traditional kinship ties or 
or, or links to, to the Chinese government, but just ordinary people who want to look for something different. So um, I think when people ask me who's there, I think I say everybody's there. Everybody's there from the, the, the parents who are visiting their children um, because their only child is now living in Africa to, to the young children who are growing up among, among the local you know, among the local communities, as, as you were saying earlier on, they're becoming um, a more permanent form of, of the demographic fabric. And I think that that, that human side is, is certainly under-researched um, in, most of the, in, in most of the analysis that we have on uh, China-Africa relations. Um, Solange, you've mentioned in your work, some of, some of the papers that I've heard at conferences and so on, you've mentioned that, that women play particular strong and interesting roles in the Chinese community in Zambia. I wonder if you could tell us a bit, bit more about that. Who are these women? Like, what are, you know, kind of what kind of experiences have you had speaking with them and what kind of roles do they play? What ha- when I was um, living in Zambia and doing my research in Zambia, I, I started asking myself, you know, how does this, you know, emerging community function? You know, what are its organizing principles? How are these people who basically don't really know each other. They don't know anything about one another, and they are very rarely connected to the Chinese government in any way, shape, or form. And, and how do they really sort of operate? Um, how is this community being structured? And I thought about it, and I realized that um, one of the ways that the community is being organized is around strong people. So you have um, charismatic leaders or people who generally invest a lot in, in, in helping the community and strengthening the community or people who are simply make themselves available to help others. Um, and I started realizing that you had different people in different sectors um, who played a different role, but always this sort of central, as a, as a central nodal figure. And I, and, I, and I realized that a lot of these central nodal figures were women. So whether it's some of the strongest players in um, agriculture, for instance, it was women. Some of the strongest players in services and manufacturing, it was women. Some of the uh, leader, key players in, in, for example, the health sector were also women. And even the, the face, if you like, the official public face of, of China-Africa, the image that the Chinese want to portray, both to their own people, but also to their host societies, um, to the host society in Zambia, were also women. And so I started to look at, you know, the role that basically women play not only as um, a convenient instrument or or a transmission belt for a certain message that the government wants to to portray um, both back in China and on the ground, but also as intermediaries with um, the host society. And, And they tend to play a very important role. Yeah, you know, well, we, we, we've been talking a lot when it comes to this the migratory patterns of Chinese to, to Africa. A lot of the conversation this year has been focused on Ghana, and in particular with the crisis over the gold miners and whatnot. And one of the things we did, we, we interviewed some of your, your colleagues in the academic world who talked about – the, the corruption that exists that permits the, this migration to happen on both on the Chinese side as well as on the, you know, on the Ghanaian side and I imagine the Zambian side. How is it possible that so many Chinese migrants are able to, to live and work in Zambia and I presume most of them aren't legal? Actually, most of them are legal. Um, at least I think relatively, relatively few are illegal. Okay. Um, as, in their, as in their presence are not um, I mean, you have, obviously, you have different migration uh, circuits, and you have 
those people who are in and out of the country and who are staying for very little time, and you have, have those who are staying in the country for perhaps longer periods, generally anything between three months up to two years, uh, and those, of course, who, have, who are in, those that suggest that they may be potentially settling in Zambia. So you have different sort of migrant circuits, and I think perhaps in the more shorter-term circuits, people um, may be doing, may be working or, 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 or getting involved in certain deals without, let's say, a legitimate um, work permit. However, those who are on the ground in Zambia working for, for the next two years, they generally do have permits, or at least um, their, their residence permits have been applied for, lodged by their, you know, their guardian or their host or their empl- employer. Well, I guess but, my question um, is... How does it happen? It happens like everywhere else. You know, you have migration brokers on both sides, uh, both in China and uh, in Zambia, but also everywhere in between. Um, I've met people in Zambia who have been through, you know, three different continents before arriving in Zambia. And so we're really talking about not just a simple sort of, you know, there and back migration, people moving strictly from their home country to their, let's say, destination country, which was more... Um, historical pattern of migration, but people are really traveling the globe. They're spending time in the Middle East, they're spending time in Eastern Europe, they're spending time in other parts of Africa, some have even spent time in South America, and, um, and, they, are, and they end up in Zambia. And generally, of course, you have um, uh, a central figure somewhere in the middle, uh, whether it's in a company or in, or in a household um, or an employer or, 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 or a friend who, who, who basically... Um, applies for them on their behalf. And I think what would be interesting to study is, is, is really how the, the, the migration services are coping with that, with this new influx or the height of influx of, of people that are coming in. I mean, it's putting a lot of pressure on, on local institutions to, to, to register these people, to monitor them, to collect the, the information and the money that they're bringing to the country, and then to redistribute that uh, back into back into their ministry, respective ministries. So, I think what would be interesting to look at is the degree of institutionalization um, on the Zambian side, and to see, you know, what are the existing challenges that they might be facing, and how are they handling this this new group? Because I think it is also important to stress here that the Chinese are. Um, only really a, a recent addition to, you know, a very multinational um, demographic population that is in Zambia. There is a, an important historical Indian community that has been there for over almost over a century, five generations. Um, you have also a lot of white Zambians who, who are living in the country, and I think um, Dr. Guy Scott, who's the current vice president of the country, is is, is a good example of that. But you also have uh, very high numbers of refugees that are living in Zambia, uh, from Angola, from Congo, DRC, uh, from Zimbabwe, um, and also a, a strong um, group from, from Russia and, and the former Soviet bloc. So it's actually a very um, multinational um, country, at least the population is composed of, of, of a lot of people from a lot of, um, from different places. So the Chinese are sort of the recent addition to, to, to that group. Well, how would, you, well, how would you des- de- describe then the, 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 one of the most sensitive issues is, can the Chinese assimilate? You know, people will often talk about how 
you know, Zambian yeah. culture and Chinese culture are so divergent. I actually come from a, a slightly different point of view, and I think I've been heavily influenced by some of your writing on this. Um, but tell me a little bit about, you know, okay, so Lusaka, for example, is a very cosmopolitan city when it comes to all these different countries and cultures and ethnicities that are coming together. But how, how are the Chinese assimilating and how are the local perceptions of the Chinese and their efforts to assimilate? Well, I think, I mean, the question of assimilation is, is, is obviously quite, I mean, it's quite complex and there are different, you can unpack it at, at different levels. Um, I think on, if, if you take it from the perspective of the, of the migrants themselves, and, and this is the perspective that, that I try to adopt in my research, you know, how do, how do they look at it? And I think what I've found, at least in, in my research, is that a lot of people um, are lacking this kind of uh, everyday sociality. Just being a normal human being who can walk out of the house and have a normal exchange with another human being and visit friends and receive friends at home, etc. They actually crave that kind of um, the normality of, of, of ordinary social interactions. But what, what we're seeing is that um, in many ways they can't, uh, not because um, of any particular race issues with their local population, but because of, because of very, very simple, obvious constraints like language barriers, for instance. Um, cultural barriers, um, material barriers, for instance, in order to, to move around in, in, in a country like Zambia, including in a city like Lusaka, you actually need a mode of transport, whether it's a bus, public bus, whether it's a bicycle, whether it's a taxi or a vehicle. And a lot of people don't actually have access to that mode of transport, and they don't have access to the um, to the cash and the money that you, you need to, to be able to, to, to do that. So whether, you know, the question of, you know, are they assimilating or not, of course, you know, certain segments of the Chinese community, I would say, are very well assimilated, whereas, you know, a large majority aren't. But I think um, if you bring it down to, you know, in people's individual perceptions, they would love to. But I think that's also a part of the, the, the main pressure for this kind of demographic migration nowadays from China. So a lot of people are migrant workers. So the same thing that pushes a, a villager or a peasant from his village somewhere in China into the cities to look for um, a stable income or a higher in income than what he can earn at home is, is, is also sort of largely behind why a lot of these people are leaving for work in, in factories or on um, construction projects or, or various projects of various different nature in Africa. And... What you see is the, the to some extent, you know, the, the, the alienation of these of these workers, um, you know, who feel increasingly sort of isolated within their environment. So whether they're in China or somewhere in a in, in a factory in the middle of, of, of Africa it doesn't really make a difference. As they feel alienated from the people around them, they don't they cannot talk to their colleagues because they're from a different um, region. For instance, they don't speak the same dialect. They don't have a comparable level of education. Um, they don't have a, this, a, a, you know, a similar set of social skills. Um, so what, what I'm trying to say is that actually the barriers often between the Chinese themselves are stronger, are greater than the barriers between you know, the, the, the Chinese and the Zambian themselves. And I think these disparities are, are, are very important, are very uh, important to take into account when, you're, when one is asking the question of, of local assimilation. And I think, in fact, as a result of this, um, these internal, let's say, um, differences and, and which often lead to conflict and tension um, um, people then obviously seek elsewhere they look for support elsewhere and that pushes people to build friendships with their neighbors 
um, with their clients, uh, with their customers, um, you know, and... And um, I mean, I Solange, if, if I can jump, on. sorry to, to interrupt you, if I can, yeah, if sure. I can jump in there, I, I wonder if you could, um, you know, on, on that point, um, which, what role does the internet play in, in, in helping these people to, to make connections? And do they, in, in, you know, kind of in refer, in being online a lot, um, do you find that they get trapped in certain kind of ways of seeing the world, ways of seeing Africa particularly, or is the internet yeah. helping them to, to develop new ways of seeing Africa? Well, I mean, the internet is is, is 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 in a way. I mean, what's happening in Africa is similar to what's happening in China. I mean, the internet in and of itself is is a medium, and what you have is an infinite number of ways of using it and using it for different purposes uh, and to, to get to different ends. Um, and so, I can't say that there's one way that the internet is currently being used by. Um, people in Zambia, what is very clear is that there is a high um, rate of, 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 of young people or people within a certain sort of demographic cohort who are more, let's say, who are more readily disposed to sort of use the internet in order to find stuff um, that they're looking for, in order to maintain their contacts back in China, in order to dig out new opportunities, in order to find out, you know, find solutions to their problems, etc., compared to, let's say, the older generation. And does that influence their vision of Africa? I think everything does. I think we're living, you know, at a, in a time where your, the way you interpret your everyday experience of life is, is, is fed by all sorts of different things. And it's fed by the, the actual experiences that you have, by the actual contacts and the friendships and the arguments that you have, let's say, on a daily basis. It's influenced by the relationship with your employer and your colleagues and your family, perhaps back home or or in Zambia, but it's also influenced by those people who you can contact um, in China and the internet, let's say, can, can play a role. I mean, I, for instance, you know, in Zambia, you have, just like everywhere else, uh, forums where people meet up online. Um, and, of course, there's a, there's a you know, Chinese in Zambia forum, and then you have smaller subgroups that are formed within that. And to some extent, of course, it has helped to maintain the connection among certain people alive. But I think that's also symptomatic, I think, of a, of, of a society that is more and more atomized, and people are now seeking connection through these sort of virtual spaces rather than having the opportunity to actually meet up in person and speak. And so, so you're not seeing you're not seeing a kind of a uh, a kind of a cosmopolitan a Zambian cosmopolitanism or multiracial uh, kind of citizenship really developing between different different Zambians of different backgrounds yet, or or, or do you Zambians do you see that in certain? Um, I, I, what I mean is, you know, kind of our Chinese, uh, you know, kind of migrants to Zambia, do they find themselves in some some cases kind of pulled into a kind of a cosmopolitan modern Zambianism, uh, you know, kind of a, a new inclusive Zambian identity, or is or do they find themselves Certainly, still kind of locked into being Chinese? I think you have both forces. You have both forces that are taking place, you know, simultaneously. You have those um, forces which let's say, more conservative forces which can pull people towards a certain form of cultural identity. And, and that gravitas is still very strong. And, and people, obviously, because it's more familiar and it's more recognizable and it's more, more tangible, um, and people could, you know, gravitate back to that quite easily. But at the same time, of course, you have those people who, who see beyond that and who see beyond, um, you know, the race and the, and the nationality, and they, and they connect on an emotional level, for instance. 
an emotion is, you know, has a nationality. It has no cultural identity. People can connect to that. And I, and I see that also around me. I think also, you know, when we talk about Chinese in, in Africa, I think it's also important to stress that there's nothing particularly exceptional about these new Chinese people who are arriving in Zambia. And I tried, that's what I tried to, to also highlight, or at least carve out in my research, is that I, 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 want, I tend to try and play down the whole nationalistic um, dimension of it. Because, in fact, most of East Africa has had um, very deep connection with Asia for, for, for several centuries, or you know, almost a millennium, some would say. And what you have, I mean, if you're in East Africa and you spend time with, let's say, the Indian community who no longer themselves necessarily perceive themselves as Indian, you know, they will say, you know, we've become African and the Africans have become a little bit Asian. Um, and I think to some extent, you know, what's happening now with the Chinese in, in, in Africa is, is just a new form of that, is that we all mix and, and, and are influenced by the people and, and the events that are, that are happening around us. And... Um, and I think, yeah, perhaps the, 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 the arrival en masse is, is what is new. The arrival with such a strong momentum, with such a strong engine, with such a strong ambition and, 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 and new resources and new capabilities and new platforms for, for cooperation and, and co- connections on so many different levels, that's probably new. But the development of, you know, people rubbing off on each other, that has been happening for, for a century. That's, I think that's just part of, of what really being human is. It just means that it's going to happen maybe in a slightly different way, maybe a faster way, maybe a more problematic way, who knows, you know, in the future with the Chinese. But I think there are a lot of parallels to be drawn with other foreign communities, particularly Asian communities living in, in Africa, and, and those um, comparisons should be should be looked at, or at least not ignored. Well, we could clearly take this for another hour, maybe even two hours, because it is one of the most interesting aspects and poorly, most l- least well understood aspects of the China-Africa relationship. Uh, Solange, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk with us and again to shed light on on a, on, a, on a topic that you know we ourselves don't really understand because very few people understand it. So Solange uh, is at the Max Planck Institute for Social Anthropology. Solange, from what I understand, from what I know, you. You're not a huge user of uh, social media and Facebook and the like and things like that, right? What is uh, yeah, I have. I, I, I struggle with that stuff. <laughs> one of these days we'll have to get you on. Well, at the end of every show, one of the things we do is we, we encourage our uh, our listeners to kind of look you up. And I, and I think to follow what you're doing, one of the best ways, of course, if you want to find out what Solange is doing is just plug her name right into Google. And you'll see her news appearances that she's done, her, the movies that she's made, the films that she's made, as well as some of her academic research and whatnot. Uh, she is definitely one of the most interesting people to follow in this space. Kobus, um, if people want to follow what you're doing these days, I think you're a little easier to find on the internet <laughs> i'm on our facebook page i try to be there every day um and you'll see my name in brackets when i respond to to comments directly i'm also on twitter at stadnesq that's s-t-a-d-n-e-s-q-u-e and our facebook page is facebook.com slash china africa project we're now at over one hundred and six thousand followers uh, many from zambia and many from uh, from around the continent mostly from africa mostly young people actually uh, most uh, under the age of 35 so we're really excited to have this 
incredible discussion going on. Join Cobus and I for, for that discussion. Uh, again, Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, we're now doing about uh, ten to 20,000 downloads a week of our podcast. So we're excited and thrilled about that. So long as you're going to be famous now. Huge. Um, and <laughs> and uh, you can, if you want to... <laughs> If you want to follow us on, on our podcast, you can uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, if you're in South Africa, we're on the BlackBerry network. And if you've got a Kindle, we're, uh, we're, on a, we're on a Kindle app. And then, of course, if you've got an Android or an iOS phone, you can download our apps there as well. So uh, we'll be back again uh, later this week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening. 